electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've been one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The Bears refuse to acknowledge that we have learned our lessons from the Great Recession. (laughs) Yet a whole generation of people did realize, they did, that you shouldn't take on too much debt, that you should live within your means, you shouldn't recklessly flip houses or create abstruse financial instruments no one can understand. We got it through our darn thick heads that it's a bad idea to take out loans that you'll never be able to repay if the underlying asset goes down big in price. And it's an even worse idea for the banks to write those kinds of loans. Look, people, it is just a fact. We got more frugal in this country. We got less reckless in this country. We got more prudent. The same way that my parents' generation learned not to trust banks for decades after the Great Depression. Listen to me. It did happen. After sedate day for the averages, Dow gained 31 points. S&P inched up 0.03%. NASDAQ advanced 0.1%. Everybody seems to recognize this sea change in human behavior. Everybody except for the bearish Armageddonists and their saturnine fellow travelers. They refuse to believe that people can learn from their mistakes. That's why they think the whole, this whole recovery and this whole stock market, it's a sham, some pumped-up Federal Reserve drama in three acts. The slump, the comeback, and now the denouement, where everything goes kerfluey, and we're back to where we started 10 years ago. Yet it feels like something good, to me at least, happens every day in this economy, every single day. Something good that is ignored or judged negatively. For example... This morning, we got a housing permit number that was the highest in 12 years. The moment the news broke, well, my Twitter feed, it exploded with people predicting that this number is a sign that we're about to repeat the housing crisis. It was an insanely negative judgment. Just some rational, very good data. 
I didn't see anyone point out that, thank heavens, the Fed was able to reverse the beating it gave to the economy a year ago. I don't know a soul who noted that it was good news because housing punches above its weight. So the strength will benefit not just the home builders and the banks, but also the retailers, not to mention everyone involved in the housing-related service economy, the brokers, the lawyers, the accountants, the people who do the title work. It's all there. This number was a huge force multiplier. It's not a sign that we're headed for another recession, for heaven's sake. It's a sign that we're finally, finally, finally recovered from the last one. When the Great Recession started, do you know that we had 301 million people living in this country? Now we have 329 billion. Wouldn't you expect more home building? Uh, But the housing permit numbers are merely back to where they were when we had 300 million people. That's after a prolonged period of relatively little new building. I mean, that's pathetic considering our population growth. But people are prudent. People are staying at home. People aren't buying, taking down mortgages until they have enough money that they don't have to, won't return to the couch of their parents. Don't try to overthink this economy, people. Good news is actually good news. Not a sign that things have gotten overheated and the end is nigh. And look, it's not just housing. I mean, today, Caterpillar's management rang the bell. They came down there. 90th anniversary. A decade ago, a decade ago, the old Caterpillar was what I call a sink or swim affair. company was busy making an ill-advised acquisition of Bucyrus, a mining equipment maker. The new cat would never do such a dumb deal. CEO Jim Mumpleby runs a lean and balanced business. Good balance. Chic. No longer hostage to China. And it consistently returns cash to its shareholders via dividend boosts and buybacks. Consistent. Cat learned from the Great Recession. They're not going to lever up to reach for the stars, only to find that the fault is indeed in themselves. Or consider, let's go there. Let's go. Why don't we just really go there? Let's just go there. Let's go to Netflix and Tesla, the two most despised stocks by the bears. The ones that they hate. The ones that they often call out for nosebleed valuations. Now, for months, we've heard Netflix's domestic signups have been weakening. We saw all sorts of surveys about how this company will be the big loser with so many competitors launching new streaming services. But today we learned that Netflix has more than 90 million subscribers outside the U.S. and Canada. They've done a brilliant job of creating regional content that's beloved by people all over the world. So maybe Netflix is going to be fine. Maybe much better than you think. Tesla. Tesla. The electric car maker has been getting some accolades from former bears lately because it's so far ahead of the competition on electrification. People like the darn cars and its solar rooftop panels turn out to be a good business. In the end, Tesla's an auto company and the stock's been roaring lately because it's a good automaker. Not on Elon Musk's braggadocio tweets, but on the extremely strong fundamentals and the possibility of some very big earnings not that far from now. What else? Okay, I'm wondering why no one seems to care about the super smart people at Blackstone just bought tail, tall grass energy. A lousy pipeline company. Maybe they saw some value. 10% yield, valued at $6 billion. Pipeline stocks have been total dogs for ages. I mean, terrible. And tall grass isn't even one of the best with pipes from, I don't know, running from Ohio to Wyoming to Cushing, Oklahoma. No dunka. Hey, but you know what? Maybe there's hope for this disastrous group that so many rich people are in. For months, we've watched the stocks of Macy's and Kohl's languish at low levels. Bear after bear has pounded them into submission. Now they're rallying. Why? How about this? Maybe because the consumer is so strong that they're even shopping at those joints. And by the way, in their return, and remember that Kohl's thing where you can return it to Kohl's uh, and it goes back to Amazon? 
No, no, people don't want to focus on that. What they want to focus on is how bad FedEx keeps being big, right? That's what they want. Bad news bears. Just a second. Bad news bears. There you go. Well, you know, it it doesn't even, they don't even care that we got a phase one trade deal with China that ratcheted down some of the tariffs. Hey, same goes for even the bedraggled Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm actually thinking of shopping there. Where the new CEO, Mark Tritton, broomed many of the old executives. Today, what happens? Stock goes up 11%. Maybe Bed Bath Big Dividend is safe after all. Finally, you know what irritates the Armageddonists most? The banks. Yeah, those dastardly banks. Their stocks keep hitting new highs as bulls tiptoe into those stocks with above-average dividends and below-average price-earnings multiples, their cheap valuations and extended hangover from the Great Recession. The bears need Senator Elizabeth Warren to own more stocks so she can blow it out. Not that she would ever own any anyway. Okay, it's not just that there's so much good news, because even the bad news doesn't seem to matter to this market. We just found out that Boeing is going to stop production on 737 MAX because they're not allowed to sell them until the planes are certified. Good idea. Over and over again, we were told that this would be horrible, horrible for Boeing, horrible for the U.S. economy. So how much was Boeing stuck down today? I don't know. What, I mean, 10%? 5%? Maybe it was down 2%. I don't know. 15%? How about the fact that the stock was flat? Yep, instead of fretting about how we could be headed for another recession, we need to understand that we're really only just now crawling out of the long national nightmare that was the Great Recession. It takes a long time to put that kind of dislocation behind you. But even as things keep getting better, well, the bears refuse to believe it. Either they can't accept that people are more prudent than they were a decade ago, or maybe they hate President Trump so much they want a recession so that he won't be reelected. There are always partisans who don't want to believe the data. But whether you love Trump or you hate him, and I bet you you do one or the other, there's no denying that the data is good and it keeps getting better. Bottom line, you got to stop looking at positive data and assuming it means that the economy is peaking and the world is coming to an end. Like it's some sort of Stephen King novel. Remember the one where like the earth gets, keeps getting chewed up and the only place left was like in Maine? Anyway, we know what a peak looks like. We almost got one a year ago when the Fed foolishly ratcheted up interest rates. Rookie Jay Powell. Nice guy. This ain't it. No, this is a healthy expansion, even if the Armageddonists simply refuse to believe it. You know what we should do? I think we should go to Norman in California. Norman. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Norman. As you know, PPL provides power to areas of Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and to almost 8 million customers in the U.K. When the conservatives won the U.K. election last week, PPL share prices rose sharply and hit the 52-week high today. In light of these developments, as well as issues related to coal, how do you see the future of the PPL share price? Other than the fact that I used to pay them fortunes. Um, you know what? I like PPL. I mean, it yields 4.59. It's a good company. I've been watching the Semper, by the way. That's a growth utility. But I'm fine with PPL. All right, now, people, listen to me. Maybe I am too impassioned. Maybe I'm not impassioned enough. This is a healthy expansion. Please don't overthink this economy. Don't let the haters tell you otherwise. Stop going into my Twitter feed, you people who graduated from the Nathan Johnson School of Business and telling me that's bad if it's good. Oh, man, honey, tonight, Eli Lilly was extremely tough to own earlier this year. Hey, remember when it was at 70? Everyone gave up on it. But with news that it now expects higher than expected profit for 2020, is it time to circle back to the stock? 
I'm talking to the CEO. Then with the stock market indices making all-time highs, are there any bargains left to be had? I've got some, so I'm going up the charts. And why a stock that dropped 55% just yesterday can be a case study in investing in speculative biotech stocks. Ooh, that one will make the bear so happy. Don't make a move before hearing this. And stay with Kramer. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. After spending most of the year in the doghouse, Big Pharma has made a spectacular recovery over the past couple of months, with Eli Lilly leading the way. This stock just won't quit. Lilly, LLY, bottomed at 101 in late October, and since then it surged back to $125, stock gaining 2% today alone thanks to a, a very bullish investor meeting. Management gave excellent guidance for 2020, which is why I think it's got more room to run even as the company's coming under fire from Senator Elizabeth Warren over insulin pricing. Earlier today, I got a chance to check in with Dave Ricks. He's the chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly. Take a look. Dave, congratulations on an incredible update. What do you think is behind the excitement of Lilly versus the last time you talked? Well, we were excited to roll out our guidance today, which shows nice growth on the top line next year. And I think one thing that's different about Lilly is how fresh and new our revenue is. Next year, more than half our revenue will be products launched just in the last few years and really no major patent expiries on the horizon. As you know, in our business, we're always chasing that patent expiry, trying to grow, outgrow it. Lily's got a unique position. Many growth drivers, several blockbuster drugs growing and really a relatively clean period ahead to grow the company, reinvest in R&D, create more great medicines. A couple of big ones, diabetes, this update, psoriasis update, oncology update. These could all be blockbusters. Some already are. Uh, Trulicity already is almost the biggest product we've ever had, and it's treating diabetes for for millions of people around the world, people finding success because they don't have to progress to insulin, controls blood glucose, lose a little weight. Uh, Mm -hmm. This new category called GLP inhibitors is really changing diabetes management for many people. Well, speaking of diabetes management, a company that we're very familiar with is Dexcom. We announced the deal yesterday. I think it's really important for people to understand what it means. Yeah, they're a great partner. They make the continuous glucose monitoring uh, equipment. What we do is try to connect that to the insulin delivery, whether it be in a pen injector or eventually in a pump. By doing so, we can better inform patients as to dose adjustments and then keep track of how they did 
so they and their doctor can talk about how to make more improvements. This is information technology coming to medicine. And it's one of the more exciting projects that's, we have. That's revolutionary. That's it's right. Also, yep. individualized medicine, which I also exactly. think LOXO could be turned out to be an unbelievable acquisition that could be individualized medicine. We're super excited about LOXO. Um, we bought the company last January. I think we were at J.P. Morgan. Yes. That, that happened. And it's turned out to be what we were hoping for and more because it's uh, targeting cancers, not where they are, but why they grow, right. the underlying genetic mutation. Uh, LOXO 292, now called Selpercatinib, just submitted to the FDA. We announced that today. And we have another one non coming out Non-small cell lung. Non-small cell lung and thyroid. Right. Um, and so we hope to have that approved and launched next People, year. People, they take the thyroid out all the time. Not, could you think there's a possibility they won't? Well, I think you'll still, that'll be the first line. This is for metastatic thyroid. Okay. So when the cancer is spread to other parts Ooh, of your body, okay. this will directly attack one of the primary drivers that that spreads in thyroid cancer. Hope to launch it next year. There's another drug out of the LOXO acquisition. We had some exciting data earlier in the month for uh, blood cancers. Right. Uh, so the, those uh, techniques to conquer disease are really proving promising. We're excited about that. Also, we announced the LOXO management team is staying with Lilly, going to help us grow sort of a biotech inside Lilly. Everyone talks about doing that. We're going to do it. Uh, we're excited about the LOXO I team. I want people to know how important it is. In the, in the conference call, there were analysts who were basically saying, what the heck are you staying with Lilly? Almost as if, well, Lilly, what are you doing? You're going to Indianapolis. But they're genuinely excited about what they're up to. They are super excited. They're effective people. They're entrepreneurs coming to the scale of pharma. Right. And they're not moving to India. They're staying in right. Connecticut. We have labs in San Diego and Boulder, right. Colorado. We're a distributed company. We, we operate everywhere. Uh, it's just great to have that kind of talent stay in our Okay. Company. You know what I got to talk about? I got to talk about because I'm the, uh, the national spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation. Emgality, what that means, and RAVO, what are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thanks for doing that to represent patients. Awareness is everything. More than 30 million people, you know this, suffer from migraine. More than 6 million would be eligible for preventative medications like emgality, but only half ever seek treatment. So it's a devastating disease, one of the third most common diseases people suffer from. So emgality comes. There's 30 million people. Yeah, exactly. And most doctors spend four hours in med school. That's it on migraine. Here's another crazy statistic 150 million. Workdays lost each year in the United States. So it's a huge productivity hit on the right. economy. So anyway, Emgality comes along with our competitors, prevent migraines, right. cut in half the number of migraines for people with serious conditions. Mm-hmm. Ravow now, which is approved and will launch in January, we hope, um, will be uh, what's called an abortive therapy. You take it when you're having the migraine. Right. These two together can kind of be a one-two punch where doctors can help patients suffering. Uh, we're broadening our reach into primary care. We're very excited about the migraine. Do we have uh, to worry about the uh, eight-hour no-operate machinery, no-drive that the FDA may put on Ravo? Well, they have put it. It, It's an important precaution. Ravo, the way it works is different from the triptans, which many people use, which have other side effects, affects your heart, et cetera. So um, Ravo has a different side effect. It's centrally acting, works in your brain. Um, And because of that, it's a little bit sedating. So um, if, you, if it's in the evening, shouldn't be a problem. You'll just go to bed and you, you have some relief. During the day, you shouldn't drive within eight hours. Right. That's what I'm hoping for yeah. is the nighttime thing. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're having your big day and it's a great day. And I'm, I'm thrilled for you, as are all the shareholders and people who should be shareholders. At the same time, um, Senator Warren and Senator Blumenthal put out inaccessible insulin. This is the broken promise of Eli Lilly's authorized generic. They say the findings of this report reveal that despite Eli Lilly's public promise about the availability of a less expensive authorized generic version of its brand name insulin drug, the vast majority of pharmacies do not offer access to this drug. 
Is this a real problem that Lilly should have been addressing? And what are you going to say about it? That's nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. Well, so there are two senators. Well, uh, there's only a hundred of them. Well, look, I, I haven't read the details of the report. Okay. I read their press release. Okay. I can tell you what the facts are today. Many policymakers encouraged us to just lower the price of insulin. Right. We did that. We launched a half price of our best-selling product to say, okay, yes, there are some situations where patients have a high deductible plan. They're exposed to more of the right. list price when they're paying. Right. Or in January, which is right around the corner, people's deductible resets. Yes. Let's give them a low price alternative. We could argue whether half price is enough. It's a pretty big difference. We made that available this spring. It's distributed widely. But I would say on the availability in pharmacies, one of the three major national wholesalers has chosen not to cover it. Some pharmacies have chosen not to carry it. Why? Because this exposes the underlying economics in our system. It's what that report should talk about, right. which is that the middlemen, both in the supply chain as well as PBMs, insurance companies, prefer high list price products okay. with a lot of rebate. This has a lower list price and less rebate. Hats off to insurance companies like United Healthcare and their ARP plan and Anthem, which are covering it. Yes. But only one out of four Americans with Part D coverage and in commercial coverage next year will have access to this. This doesn't show that we didn't try. We did try. You can order this product today from your pharmacy. This shows what's broken in the rest of the pharmaceutical system. All right, well, I, wonder, I do not want to end on that. Here's what I want to end yep. on. Will you please tell people how much uh, you can pick the migraine, you can pick the diabetes, you can pick Loxo, I don't care. How much it costs to bring a darn new drug to market that can really help yeah. save lives? It is an expensive endeavor. About $2 billion for every new medicine. <laughs> And highly risky, right? As you know, well, investors don't don't want to just put, give two million to get two billion. You put in these documents. He has drugs that failed. You yeah. say this drug failed, this drug failed, Absolutely. this drug failed. Yeah, it's part of the business. Most drugs, most ideas we have don't work. That's what innovation is. But we put the money to work. We put it at risk. And hopefully we have good scientists who have good ideas that do make it to market like Imgality and other drugs we've been speaking about. It's a high-risk business, but it's so rewarding, not just financially, but to see patients succeeding with our medicines. That's what we're all about. I want to congratulate you for all the years you've paid great dividends, for all the years delivered unbelievable returns, particularly under your administration. Thank you so much. All right. That's Dave Ricks. He's chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly, one of America's greatest companies. We have money's packet for the break. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the average of searching to new all-time highs, how do we search for any bargains? Are, are, are there some left? Sure, but you've got to know where to look for them. So tonight we're going off the charts with the hope of Carolyn Broden. And boy, she is that brilliant technician, and she runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. 
also happens to be one of my colleagues at realmoney.com, where I blog, to identify high-quality stocks that could still have some room to run. In environments like this one, Broden looks for names that have yet to meet their higher time frame targets. And then she circles back to them. And what exactly the heck does that mean? Okay, there's one pattern Broden's noticed that seems to play itself out time and time again. Remember her whole method. It involves measuring past swings in a security and then running them through the prism of what's known as Fibonacci numbers. It's a series of ratios discovered by a medieval mathematician, Leonardo Fibonacci, that do repeat over and over and over again in nature and also for some strange reason in the stock market. And it's been proven by her time and again in the years that we've used her work, of which she is so much more right than wrong. And the pattern that matters right now goes like this. When a bull market experiences a correction, uh, but its uptrend remains intact. We almost always see a 127, keep this number in mind, 127.2 Fibonacci extension of the corrective pullback. An extension is what happens when you reverse 100% of a previous swing and then rally some more on top of that. This is why Broden loves to use these 127.2% extensions as her initial upside targets when she's setting up a trade. That number keeps repeating itself. 127.2. How ubiquitous? How ubiquitous is this pattern? She literally sees it in action every day in the futures, or just about every time frame, even down to a five-minute chart where every tick represents a five-minute interval. Get this. Let me give you an example of what the heck we're talking about. Take a look at the weekly chart of the S&P 500. All right. Once this market started rebounding from its lows roughly a year ago, Broden gave us a new upside target. She told us the S&P was headed for the 3,102 market mark at the very least. Why? Well, it's based on that 127.2% retracement of the hideous decline in the fourth quarter of the Powell bear market. Sure enough, it took 11 months, but bingo, this November, the S&P finally hit the initial target of Broden's 127.2. When she analyzed other swings on the same chart and put them through her Fibonacci prism, they gave a similar target with a cluster of important levels running from 3,083 to 3,102. Now that we've cleared the first major hurdle, Broden says the S&P 500 has another big picture price target around 3,308 up 3.6% from here. While she acknowledges that short-term pullbacks are inevitable, she thinks these pullbacks will be viable as long as her big-picture analysis remains intact. But if we're looking for buying opportunities here, for stocks that still represent value, and we know that, therefore, she thinks she's going to give us this, but let's say we want to make you know, some money in some individual stocks, which is what we like on Mad Money, even though we, we totally respect index funds. We think they're the greatest. We sleep in, in bed with them. They're our lovey blanket, everything. But we like individual stocks in the show, too. So uh, she says we got to hunt for some names that have yet to hit our initial uh, upside targets, unlike this, which hit the upside target from right here. Hey, how about a, that call? Right. She waits, she waits out the pal bear market and then zoom. I like when someone's right. Consider the weekly chart of Shopify, the cloud based software company that gives small businesses the tools they need to create their own online stories. From late August through early November, Shopify stock got hammered. Wow. Look at that. Uh, it fell from 409 to 282. As the fast-growing cloud stocks went out of style on the Wall Street fashion show, it was a brutal correction. But for the past six weeks, Shopify has been rebounding, rebounding like crazy. However, it's only bounced back to 387 as of today. We've seen enough to confirm that the uptrend remains intact, but the stock is still a long way from making 127.2% retracement of this August decline. 
The August and November pullback hasn't been made up yet. As Broden points out, this 127.2 move in the wake of a correction is one of the most reliable patterns in the business. Where does this go? 444, people! 15% from where we're currently trading. Ideally, though, Broden wants to get this even at a better price. Because if Shopify gets hit again, she thinks it's worth buying into weakness as long as it doesn't fall below the support of, 200 and, of the 280s. So what she's saying, just so we're clear, she thinks it's going to go to this level. She's hoping to be able to buy it a little bit lower to get a bigger percentage gain. What other high-quality stocks still haven't recovered from hideous correction? Well, how about Kramer, Fave, NVIDIA? While the chip maker's been having a terrific run lately, and no doubt that's because of gaming, but also because of artificial intelligence and machine learning, it still hasn't recovered from the meltdown the fourth quarter of last year. The meltdown took the stock down from 290s to 120s. And this was because crypto, people were using them for crypto, and they couldn't tell what the inventory situation was, so the stock got clobbered. Okay. NVIDIA is just now testing its ceiling of resistance at 228, which represents a 61.8% retracement of the 2018 pullback, another very significant Fibonacci number. If the stock can make a the 127.2% retracement extension, though, then where does it go? It goes to 338, up 48% from where it's currently traded. That's where Broden thinks NVIDIA is headed. So do I. My travel trust owns it. Again, she's recommending that you wait for a bit of a, a wee bit of a pullback. Uh, before you pull the trigger. Now, for the record, NVIDIA, my dog, had an endoscopy today, and my 13-year-old rescue body is fighting kennel cough as best as he can. Please. Okay. It's apropos of nothing, but I had to point it out. We see the same thing in PayPal's weekly chart. Let's go to that. The online payment kingpin got rolled earlier this year while the stock started rebounding to uh, in October. Okay. It's still got a long way to go to reverse that correction, doesn't it? Assuming PayPal can hold above its recent lows, mid-90s, the floor of support, okay, is down 13 bucks from here. Broden believes the uptrend is intact, and if the uptrend's intact, PayPal, there we go, 127.2. Where does that go? 128. I'm talking about a 19% gain that we might be able to get. Shopify. NVIDIA, PayPal, all fantastic companies. Finally, Broden's intrigued by... <laughs> The weekly chart of something in my travel trust loves the despot Home Depot. This is one of the that's because one a developer I dealt with once said to me, you know what? I'm thinking about buying getting a home despot into my mall. I never forgot it. It's the one that pulled back the most recently. That company disappointed investors when it reported its latest quarter. It did disappoint, guys. They need to upgrade their legacy technology systems to bolster sales. And its stock, wow, it just got crushed. Broden's not convinced that a Home Depot's put in a bottom yet. I do think it has, by the way. But once we have confirmation that it's done going down, what does her methodology say? 217 goes to 247. Wowza. What needs to happen before she can give her home, give home Depot a blessing? Well, Broden's waiting for new buy signals against, against the stock's floor of support that runs from 202 to 209. Down about 10 bucks from where it currently is trading at after a nice bounce today. What kind of buy signal? Well, she likes to rely on one potential signal when the five-day exponential moving average crosses above the 13-day exponential moving average. 
Blue is five. Red is 13. We're there, right? This is a sign that the stock's short-term momentum has turned positive after a big decline. And if we get it, Broden thinks we, that will mean Home Depot's done going down and ready to reverse and go to the upside. Of course, not every one of these trades will be a winner. That's why Broden wants you to define your risk. If any of these stocks breaks down below their floor support, that means the uptrend has been called into question. Her thesis is dead. So if Home Depot falls below 202 fringes, trade over. Kaput. Bottom line, even in a red-hot market, there are plenty of stocks that could have more room to run. And the charts, as interpreted by Carolyn Baroden, suggest that Shopify, NVIDIA, and PayPal are all worth owning, here, especially if you can get them into weakness. And Home Depot might be able to join the list if the stock can show us it's put in a sustainable bottom. We should take calls. We should go to Lori in Pennsylvania. Lori! Hi, Jim. This is Lori from the home of the Philadelphia Eagles. First, let me just wish you a happy holiday and a happy and healthy new year to you and your family. And thank you for all you do and your Action Alerts Club membership. I love it. Oh, Lori, you're very sweet. Thank you for being a member of the club. We've been having some good ones back to three mil, I think, today. And one of the things I would point out is, is that we have a really big game Sunday and we have to win. How can I help? We are going to win. This is how you can help. So anyway, I just found out my mom went from uh, Saks to TJ Maxx. So I did what you used to do with your father. I went to TJ Maxx. I checked it out. I looked. The parking lots were full. The employees were happy. The customers were happy. It was an incredible experience. So my question to you is with TJ Maxx trading near all-time highs, does it still have room to run like Miles Sanders? Okay. Oh, I like that. So, Lori, can I just ask Lori a question? Uh, Okay. What I wanted to ask Lori was, you know, it's not just TJ Maxx. You have to go to your home goods store. You have to check out the home goods. What Pop and I always did was we never went to one store. He would drag me to five, six, seven stores. But I will say I like TJX, and I think it does go higher. So those trips, at the time, they were dreadful. I said, oh, my God, Pop, how many stores do we have to visit? Darn it, Pop, were you ever right? This is a red-hot market, people, but there are still stocks that have room to run. What kind of stocks? Shopify. NVIDIA, not a dog, the stock, and PayPal, weakness, and maybe even Home Depot if it puts in that bottom, the, you know, the crossover there. Now, there's much more mad money in How a blow-up in a little-known biotech company can offer larger lessons. This is our Lessons Learned new segment in the sector. Don't make a move before hearing my take. Then after a slew of bad news for Boeing, wondering why its stock isn't lower? I'm telling you why that could be the wrong question. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Whenever I get a call about a stock I'm not familiar with, I tell you I need to do more homework and promise to circle back later because I don't want to give anyone an uninformed, off-the-cuff answer. You deserve better than that. I'm very careful about this, especially when we're dealing with small-cap speculative biotech stocks that people love to ask me about. However, sometimes we don't get to these homework items fast enough. Take Wave Life Sciences. That's an early-stage genetic medicine company that Raul in Connecticut asked me about at the end of October. I said I would come back to it later, doing some research, but I took too long. These things are so hard to do, and I got a lot on my plate. But yesterday, you know what happened? The stock imploded! It plummeted 55% on the news that its lead drug candidate was a failure. And it plunged another 9% today 
on the same story. That's how bad this one is. However, what really strikes me about this story is just how difficult it would have been for regular investors to see this meltdown coming. I know that because I was doing research. I was doing the research on this one. I know I didn't see it coming. In fact, I was going to come out positive on this show about this wave life sciences because I like what I saw. And isn't that the real lesson here? Speculating on high-risk, high-reward biotech stocks is inherently risky. Some of these early-stage drug companies will blow up in your face, and you absolutely won't see it coming. I promise you, you will not see it coming. It's the nature of the beast. Now, I'm a big believer in speculation. You know that. I think there's a place for these ultra-high-risk stocks in a balanced portfolio. They keep things interesting. And when they work out, boy, they can make you a fortune. But when they don't work out, they can lose you a fortune, too. That's why you should never speculate with money that you can't afford to lose. It's why I recommend index funds over individual stocks until you have saved enough to make it so you can't get hurt badly if you buy the wrong individual stocks, particularly the speculative ones. Just think about what happened with this wave life sciences. Let me walk you through it. A few days ago, this stock seemed too legit to quit. The company has a proprietary technology platform that was supposed to give them a major edge in designing new gene therapy treatments for rare diseases. They were working on a therapy for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. That is a disease that causes muscle weakness and ultimately death. They're also working on another one for Huntington's disease. The Duchenne muscular dystrophy drug that blew up yesterday, oh, man, it it looked like the real deal in September. Wave's Duchenne muscular dystrophy treatment had just got fast-track designation from the FDA. It was in phase three clinical trials. Everything looked pretty good until it imploded. Can you imagine? I mean, I was going to say, oh, geez, fast-tracked by the FDA. I got to come out here and be positive about this one. Could you have seen it coming? In retrospect, there were some signs something was wrong as early as April when the company announced some phase one data for this drug that was widely considered to be disappointing. (laughs) While the bulls argued the safety data was solid, the numbers we saw said very little about the treatment's actual efficacy. Credit where it's due at the time, an analyst at Stiefel downgraded Wave from buy to hold, cutting his price target literally in half. Based on concerns about its lead drug and more broadly, its technology platform. Then in August, Wave's main competitor, Sarepta Therapeutics, suffered a major setback. And a month later, they got a fast track designation from the FDA. In short, while there was one warning sign, you had very little reason to believe that this new drug would be a total bust. I mean, the FDA fast tracked the drug. Are they really going to track something fast that doesn't work? Apparently, well, yes. Because yesterday we have announced that they're discontinuing two of Duchenne muscular dystrophy drugs, uh, the clinical trials, based on some very disappointing efficacy data. This is a disease where, you can, uh, a disease where your body can't produce an important protein, dystrophin. Wave gene therapy was supposed to fix that. But in their words, quote, the results showed no change from baseline in dystrophin expression, end quote. Despite some promising preclinical data, the drug failed. Now, the company still has other drugs in the works, including their treatment for Huntington's disease. But this was a major blow, and it's a blow that almost nobody saw coming. When the FDA fast-tracks a drug, 
That's usually a sign that they've done their homework and they see something very promising. But even the FDA drops the ball sometimes. We're not the only ones who were taken, uh, who, who got taken in by on this one, though. Uh, since August, every single analyst covering Wave either rated it a buy or a hold. Going into this news, you had six buys and two holds. People believed. So what do we do now if we own this Wave life? I mean, people are tweeting me on this one. What do you do? What do you do? Well... Look, I don't think it's completely lost. It's not toast. The Huntington drug could be a very big drug, assuming the data goes your way. And the CEO told us to expect that the data very soon it, it, it might, it might be good. I got to tell you, after what happened with the Shane Muscular dystrophy drug, though, yesterday, I'm not exactly overflowing with confidence in Waves technology. This has now become a show-me story, and until we see more evidence that their platform works, I am not going to recommend it, even as it's come down a great deal. Here's the bottom line. When you speculate on early-stage biotech stocks, there's always a risk that a promising drug candidate will blow up in your face and your stock will get wrecked. And that's what happened to Wave, and sometimes these meltdowns are very hard to predict. So if you're going to bet on these companies, you really need to be aware of the risks and accept the devastating losses that they can produce, which is what they did in the case of Wave Life Sciences. It is time! It is time for the night round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dang over the lightning round is Jeff in California. Jeff! Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. I'm interested in your opinion of Ford. All right, get this. Many of you may have to hold your ears. I don't want you to own Ford. I want you to own the stock of Tesla. I actually think one. I'm not saying one's safe from the other. I'm saying they both have just okay balance sheets, but one's got more upside. Okay, I want to go to Dylan. Oh, Dill! Dylan in Arkansas. Dylan! Hey, Jim. Thank you for everything that you do. Uh, I'm a 25-year-old investor. and think about adding Facebook to my long-term portfolio. I am going to approve of that. I do think that Facebook should get a little bit more involved with the people who use it. So you have some bachelors because it is hated by both parties. How about Mick in Wisconsin? Mick. Hi, uh, Jim. Uh, this is my first time calling, and I just want to say I love your program. Thank you. I'm interested in Raytheon. Uh, I like Raytheon. That's a merger with United Technologies. It's a winner. I need 10 in Arizona. 10. Ted, now speak to me. Kramer. Yeah. Hey, I was wondering if the best way to play oil is midstream. What do you think of Shell midstream partners? I do like Shell midstream partners, but that group is just so forlorn. I will brace that because it is run by a good company. I need to go to, I need to not go to anybody. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This market has had an incredible run, but so many people missed out on it because they were too busy worrying about why stocks deserve to be lower instead of wondering might send them higher. House of pleasure. They're too afraid of the downside, 
to appreciate the existence of the upside. Even as the risk reward for so many stocks improved dramatically over the whole course of the year. Take the biggest negative story of the moment right now, Boeing's halting production of the 737 MAX. Even though the stock got hammered yesterday, did you know it's still up for the year? It was flat today. That's astonishing. Here you have the worst case, the worst case scenario for Boeing. Yet the stock's holding up surprisingly well. And believe me, as someone who follows Boeing closely, this was the this was the thing that they were most fearful of. So shouldn't the stock be lower? That's the question that defines this market, doesn't it? But the answer is surprisingly straightforward. No! Boeing stock should not be that much lower. I mean, maybe to 300, but that's about it. See, there are too many portfolio managers who want to own the stock because they believe the company will ultimately fix the 737 MAX. I do, too. At the end of the day, the commercial aircraft business is a duopoly. There's Boeing and there's Airbus and there's that's it. But the demand for new planes is tremendous. Ten years, ten years out. That's why these managers aren't worried about Boeing sinking to 250 if everything keeps going wrong. They're much more worried that the stock will surge to 400 and they'll be left behind because they don't own it. That's the real fear. 400, not 250. Same thing, GE. We have some fabulous analysts who predicted GE's downfall. Sell, sell, sell. And these bears... They're still relentless, saying that there are black holes and hidden issues and just generally saying there's way too much wishful thinking. So why is the stock at 11 and not back down to 6? Because most money managers don't want to miss the comeback of a great American industrial in the time of an economic expansion. They don't want to sit there and say, I see GE going up, but I have to wait for Steve Tusa, the analyst of J.P. Morgan, who hates it, to upgrade it. At any other time, Tusa would be right to keep hanging, keep put the hate on stocks like GE. But this environment is so bullish then you've got to suspend your skepticism except the, the magic of GE at 11. Yes, 2019, 2010 is the year that we embrace Joan Didion. It's the year of magical stock thinking. The market's littered with these stocks. The ones you should have asked, how can it go higher? Not why isn't it lower? Now, I've caught so much heat for constantly telling you to stick with Apple, to own it, and not trade it. You wouldn't believe the hate mail I get from professional money managers who are absolutely furious that I don't see the downside. But they never stopped to consider how the stock could go higher, how the ecosystem would make it more value, the service revenue. They, they, they don't think about the idea that there is a, a, a long-term value that you could ascribe to each person who buys a phone. That's right, lifetime. How could CEO Tim Cook juggle both our government, President Trump, and their government, President Xi? I mean, who can do that? They were too focused on what might go wrong. Isn't it a marvel that he got that right? Over and over, we've seen stocks break down after reporting bad quarters, only refuse to stay down, like Apple with the hideous pre-announcement in January of this year. What a fabulous buying opportunity. Same from Caterpillar after a terrible quarter. One of the most recent, most miserable results of Deer. Another great buying time. Hey, one last example. Think about when NVIDIA did bottom. It didn't happen when things got better. It happened when things still seemed horrendous and were getting worse. In each case, you had to wonder, why is this beaten down stock going higher and do some buying? Even felt crazy at the time. Look, I don't got no crystal ball for 2020, but I do have an attitude. 
You have to weigh the potential upside more heavily than the potential downside. Trying to weigh them equally hasn't worked in 2019. And let me give you a newsflash. I bet it won't work in 2020 either. Stick with Kramer. I'm sure some of you are saying, well, why didn't I talk uh, more about impeachment? And uh, which will be have a vote tomorrow. And that is because I believe that the Republicans will not convict. And it'll be a lot like Clinton, which turned out to be a buying opportunity. So I don't want to scare anybody out of the market. I do feel that FedEx, by the way, is really indicative of problems at FedEx and no other way to read it. I think that they just basically have not been a winner in e-commerce. There's others. There's other losers, too. But FedEx is one of them. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.